0: Welcome to episode fourteen of this podcast. Why is the world? Many apologies for not getting this episode out sooner. We've been delayed, been caught up doing different things, and we've uh, we had a if we call it a technical difficulty. Where the technical difficulty was, it was wrong.
1: Uh, (laughs) (laughs) our technical
0: difficulty is our quality our quality has been improved you're welcome (laughs) quality issues uh persisted in the previous recording so apologies we're only getting around to it now anyway you're listening to me i'm miles i'm the one with the good accent and here is my co-host sevi
1: the one with the better accent and this podcast aims to (laughs) introduce you to different cultures debates and empathize with people all across the world, except for Miles right now.
0: (sighs) Can't believe you sometimes. (laughs) Empathize.
1: What are we talking about today, Miles?
0: Right. Yes, we're going to be talking about Slovenia. Specifically, the question that you have clicked on today is, why is Slovenia so good at cycling? So we'll be covering a little bit about Slovenia, a lot about cycling, and hopefully we'll be able to answer the question of uh, why is it so good at cycling? Exactly. This wouldn't be a why is the world podcast if we didn't ask what the question is questioning. So we'll also get into that as well. Don't worry, we won't look up the definition of good. We'll save you that.
1: We will look up the definition of cycling, or at least miles will.
0: (laughs) I don't actually have the definition, to be honest, but um, anyway, we can jump into where is Slovenia and how big is it?
1: yeah so slovenia is in europe um a good way to think about it is it is to the west of italy south of austria
0: it was in the east of italy last time i checked you've just got your east and west mixed up did i okay it's it's the
1: sorry yeah if you go east of italy you hit estonia like uh above the mediterranean sea um to the Uh, south
0: estonia or slovenia
1: Slovenia Right,
0: Thank
1: yeah. you. And uh, north, just south of Slovenia is Croatia, um, and just north is Austria, and it actually touches a little bit of Hungary to um, the east of Slovenia.:
0: Excellent. So it is not a big country.:
1: Nope, not that not only like 20,000 kilometers squared.
0: Yeah. Which is about the same size as Israel or Fiji.
1: Yep. Uh, and to give a more US context, it's a little smaller than New Jersey, but bigger than Connecticut.
0: I have no idea how big they are, no. either of those. Well, I don't know how big just... Fiji is,
1: <laughs> except it's as big as Slovenia.
0: So. <laughs> uh, okay. All right. Um, and so it has a population of 2.1 million, just under. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's about the same size as... I'm going to pronounce it correctly this time. Houston?
1: Houston? Oh my God. Nope. Houston. There we go.
0: Yeah. Always had it in the bag. Don't worry. Uh, same size as Houston, Vienna, and the center, the arrondissements of Paris. Uh, and for a UK perspective and audience, uh, it's about the same size as Birmingham. Birmingham. The greater Birmingham. Birmingham in the UK.
1: (laughs) Birmingham. Uh, And another US, like as well as Houston, the city in Texas, it's about the same size as the state of New Mexico in terms of
0: number of people. It's a lot bigger state, that one, than Slovenia is in size.
1: Yes, it's a big square, (laughs) uh, almost square, versus a more European jiggle-jaggle rough coastline. Rough, rough borderline border is probably
0: a better yeah, way to I was play. just looking at the shape of it, thinking, what could I make out of the shape, but not much.
1: It's a, it looks like a European country, I would say.
0: It looks like a squirrel facing left with a huge bushy tail. I don't see it. Okay, all right. Okay, so you see the bottom left bit. Look, anyway, that's not relevant. Okay.
1: <laughs> What's the largest city and capital of this fair country?
0: That would be the, um, it looks like a complete tongue twister, and it is, but it is pronounced uh, Ljubljana.
1: Yeah. Ljubljana.
0: The reason he says it looks like a
1: tongue twister is it has two J's in it.
0: Yeah. After the L's? Both L's?
1: Yeah, it's Ljubloij. No, Lj, you're right. After both L's. Um, I'm, so, I'm not used to seeing Lj's next to each other, so I saw a fake I in between.
0: This is, yeah. <laughs> hallucin. Right. So do you want to tell me a bit about the climate or the geography about Slovenia? What's what it like?
1: Yeah, definitely. Um, so it's kind of made up. The, the, the word I'd use to describe Slovenia in general is very diverse, right? And its geography and climate make up, make up that. So it has the Julian Alps in the northwest. So these are kind of the classic Alps that also go through Italy. Um, and then in Austria as well, make like up quite a bit of Austria, and then it does touch a little bit of the Mediterranean Sea, specifically the Adriatic Sea. So it's got like kind of that region, um, and that's down by Piran, which is a the city in Slovenia. Uh, another, so it's interesting. So it has the Alps, but it actually has uh, another set of Alps called the uh, Dinaric Alps or the Dinarides. And uh, they kind of make... They're, they're a set of mountains that follow uh, the Balkan Peninsula. Um, so they go north to south. Um, and they kind of end, like, basically on the Julian Alps in uh, Lithuania. Slovenia. <laughs> wow, I added another one in, in Slovenia. And uh, so they... It, it kind of creates, like, a border or a corner in the country where you got, um, like, on the... West part of the country, you have a set of mountains like right up against the water. And then in the north, you have a set of mountains uh, that are more the Alps that kind of like run uh, along by Austria. And then the major, and then the last uh, of the four like distinct regions, kind of the largest and like the main watershed of um, Slovenia is the Pannonian Plain. So the Pannonian Plain is actually like a big, it's a huge plain within. Eastern Europe that makes up, it basically, it also, in this case, starts in uh, Slovenia and kind of like, it, and it drains out through the Danube um, into the Black Sea. Uh, do you want to tell us a little bit more about the, like that, that valley that, uh, I, I guess it's a, a quite a large valley, but more of that, that plain, that Petnovian plain?
0: I don't know. I don't know what you're looking for here. Are you looking for see, so a... like
1: Hungary? Like the idea is, most of Hungary is this Pannonian plain, correct? Yes, yeah. And it's like their mm-hmm. horse culture is kind of built from that as well.
0: Yeah, that's right. So Hungarians um, traditionally were known a lot about their mastery of horses um, through a mix of the Mongols left some horses there, sort of traditionally, as is, is the story. Um, but yeah, it's essentially just a big, big plain uh very flat and it as you say it drains out into the Danube which is obviously a very large river with some really key European cities on it such as Vienna, uh Budapest, for example. They're probably the two main ones that you would uh know. And then it flows out uh I believe in the country of Romania into the Black Sea.
1: And it's amazing because it's like it's draining Romania. It goes all the way north up into southern Poland in terms of this plain. And like you said, most are Hungary and it, it, like the Black Sea is quite far from Slovenia, and therefore, like it's really impressive that like most of Slovenia's water actually like goes all the way out to the Black Sea, um, which is like, like it's like several countries away, right? It's like all over of, Ru- of Hungary and Romania
0: away. It would you would have thought it'd be a lot quicker just to go over to the Adriatic, wouldn't you? But again, because <laughs> it, it's so much closer. you got these like the, mountains, the mountains making
1: yeah. this corner that kind of block it out. So yeah, and then as a result of these different I. Uh, uh, plains and stuff the climate is actually quite varied so uh, you've got like the high alpine climate um, as well as like the the classic like mediterranean like really nice weather like mild climate um, more in the plain and uh, where ljubljana
0: is would you like to say something about the religion demographics who are the people of slovenia
1: one other thing about like more of the sorry the the geography is, is like. Half the country is forested, so it's like a quite a forested region, um, and it's a quite a big seismic zone as well because the Adriatic plate kind of like burrowing in, and it actually connects like the African, Adriatic, and Eurasian plate all kind of come together, creating also like that diversity in terms of like its seismic activity as well.
0: Um, yeah, so isn't it one of the only countries where the forest area is growing?
1: That is correct. Yeah, they they take uh, their greenery very seriously, and we'll get into that a little bit more later. (laughs) A little pun there. Um, Yeah, so the the people, yeah, so religion, right now it's like made up of about 78% around there of Christianity, um, mostly Christian-based nation. In fact, like, it's interesting because, uh, what do they speak in uh, Slovenia, Miles?
0: They would speak. Sloven, wouldn't they?
1: Right. And that's a Slavic
0: uh it's a South Slavic language, yeah. So, a little bit of background on the Slavs, I guess, is they were a people group that lived up in sort of modern-day oh, wherever we call it, maybe up near Belarus, mm-hmm. some kind of area. Uh they were known as the Proto-Slavs because this happened a long time ago, sort of sort of before Slavs, and then the Slavs moved into three di- directions probably They basically generally moved into three directions. I've actually forgotten the word, but we don't need it. It's okay. Uh, And then so you had the west. Okay. Yeah, it's it's long gone now. You (laughs) had the Western Slavs who went into areas such as Czech Republic, Slovakia, and that area. And then you had the Eastern Slavs who went to Russia and became Russian Ukrainian um, people. And then you had the South Slavs who went and settled down in the Dinaric Alps down. that
1: balkan peninsula
0: yeah that's right yeah balkan peninsula and i'd say that um the Slavs have had a very tough time in history in that they have been discriminated against a lot and they are to an extent quite discriminated again against in western europe as well which is very um sad to see uh particularly with uh what should we call it um Anti-immigration settlements, okay. anti-immigration sentiments in Western Europe because of a lot of um, low-cost labor comes from Eastern Europe, which particularly is uh, generally quite Slavic. Um, so kind of like a, you might understand a bit more of like, I think more of a, like a Mexican uh, influence of migrants coming into the US. I think it's sort of like a similar Yeah. Um,
1: There's animosity among certain aspects of the population in terms of like, oh, they're taking,
0: yeah, they're, they're, yeah, they're taking our culture. And the, and the history of the Slavs is actually, they have been discriminated against for a long time. And actually the word slave comes from Slavs. Wow. I didn't know that. Yeah. So, uh, they, they have been used as slaves for a very long time. Um, and that's probably where this root of discrimination comes you know the, the idea that in an unequal society the poor stay poor and the rich get richer kind of thing mm-hmm. and that's quite clear with the slavic peoples anyway to um, hopefully go into a bit more of a positive or a bit more of an understanding light and an empathetic light um we can talk about slovenia um is largely christian you said and that was um it's largely catholic and they use a, a latin alphabet because so of that I'm going to be because of because
1: of the fact that they're catholic and christian that's like where the latin kind of comes in
0: Yes, you could say that the south slavs generally use latin alphabets but that's not the case for all of them
1: But I seem to remember like slavic like slavic languages the lettering's different right Is that
0: Yeah, so you can have cyrillic or latin alphabets commonly in okay. slavic uh nations So you have a country that used to exist in a lot of the 20th century called Yugoslavia, which most people would know a lot of the Balkan countries are former Yugoslav countries. Yeah. Um, so that was made up of Slovenia, Croatia, Bosnia and Herzegovina, uh, Montenegro, Serbia, and Kosovo. <laughs> um, <laughs> a little bit. I think I'm safe. Yeah, okay. well, well, um, that'll
1: be covered maybe in another episode.
0: Maybe. Uh, yeah. So... As I'm sure you're aware, there's uh, a large amount of disagreements that go on down there. A lot of people feel very different from each other in former Yugoslav republics. And a way we can show that is through their religion and their alphabet, for example, uh, where Slovenia and Croatia, both of them are Catholic with Latin alphabets. Okay. Okay, so... Uh, Slovenia is the northernly most Slavic, oh, sorry, South Slavic nation or Yugoslav nation. The next one down is Croatia, which kind of looks like a sea.
1: I'll take it around a uh, and,
0: and then nestled into the sea is Bosnia. And Bosnia is a Muslim country who use a mix of Cyrillic and Latin alphabets. Okay. Uh, they officially now use a Latin alphabet, but they did previously use the Cyrillic alphabet, so it's still kind of in that transition period.
1: Okay. Uh,
0: and then, sort of across on the east, that sort of comes down a lot further, is Serbia, who are um, Christian Eastern Orthodox, and they use a Cyrillic alphabet. Okay. And then we also have Montenegro, which is down by on the Asiatic coast, uh, underneath Bosnia. Although technically it borders Croatia because there's an enclave there, yeah. um, and that is uh, also Orthodox Christian and uses a Cyrillic alphabet. Okay. And then you have Kosovo, which nestles sort of between Serbia and.
1: Think about it as the like the lower part of Serbia. Yeah.
0: Yeah, and uh, Kosovo is generally ethnically Albanian, which is not being covered in this one because okay. that's a, a whole nother topic so as you can see there's a lot of differences with with the alphabets and the religions and it's yeah it's, it's not as easy and as straightforward as perhaps going from belgium to france
1: so maybe a good way to recap it tell me if this makes sense is there are like all these like former yugoslav nations that are part of the baltic peninsula like they have a lot of slavic roots from
0: balkan peninsula
1: balkan peninsula they have a lot of uh, slavic
0: roots the baltics are a different yeah, area yeah. in europe um yeah, okay,
1: yeah. uh balkan and the the they have a bunch of the slavic roots right in terms of the people groups that live there um came mm-hmm. from slav uh slavic belarus and you're saying the northern ones are have a more latin um leaning on their yeah. alphabet whereas the southern ones still have the cyrillic and then mm-hmm. yes. Bosnia is in the middle with, like, kind of transitioning in. in and it's kind yeah, of I guess.
0: Okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, and just to give you a little bit of histories with sort of Slovenia. Um, I, I saw a little sort of how someone described Slovenia. They said, we're a nation of peasants. Uh, we've always been ruled by somebody. So um, what they were getting at there is initially... I guess the the Slavic people in uh, Slovenia were... They actually migrated there after the fall of the Roman Empire. Mm -hmm. But you could say that area was ruled by the Roman Empire. And then it was taken over by Venice. Okay. The Venetians. You should
1: listen to episode
0: three. Why is... Episode four? Why is Venice sinking? Three. 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 Why is
1: Venice sinking?
0: And then you had um, the Austro-Hungarians ruling over that area, and then the Ottoman Empire, which is where that uh, Muslim influence comes in with uh, countries like Bosnia and Herzegovina, and then Austro-Hungarians again, who are a very Catholic, um, who were a Catholic kingdom, and then they were ruled by the Soviet, not Soviet, sorry, Communist uh, Republic of Yugoslavia okay. in the 20th century, and then now they are independent and uh, part of the European Union. Okay. So yeah, they there's there's my super quick history on Slovenia. Yeah, one minute that, that
1: gives you, you know I think if you go back to the peasant idea, that gives you a sense of their culture, right? They're more of like followers. They're more like, hey, like let's make the best for our current situation. Um, and
0: I I have a somewhere down here in all my notes it says um somewhere it says we feel um feel very european we can get into that but essentially they they are little known by the outside world and they're happy with that was what it implied
1: although uh, that's a good segue to tourism and travel which is they are becoming a little bit more well known and tourism is increasing um, in fact, tourism has been growing steadily, like over the last like decade. And actually like, even with, despite the pandemic, it didn't change that. It still has been increasing.
0: Yeah. I've seen uh, a lot more of my friends go there as well. I've not been to, well, I've been to Slovenia, but I've never been to Ljubljana, which is uh, something that I've noticed a lot more of my friends are doing. Interesting. Um, but I am booking a holiday tomorrow, so uh, we'll see where I end up.
1: Will it be Slovenia? Will it not be?
0: Find out... No. I'm... <laughs> I mean, I don't even know, so we'll find out. I'm just literally going to put the flights in and see what comes up the cheapest.
1: Yep, that makes sense. Um, I don't doubt it'll be Slovenia, considering it's farther, but I guess you never know.
0: Um... I do... I do not know
1: in other words go to uh slovenia before tourism really skyrockets um because if you look at actually neighboring countries like croatia like they used to be unknown and now they're like huge tourist centers like you've been there a couple times right miles
0: yeah i have they're very popular really popular um yeah so uh something you can see a bit of the influence of the different cultures that have sort of come and gone over um what do they call it they call it like they own. Slovenia like the changing of the sands, or something like that. Okay. shifting of the sands. so it's always changing. Uh, but traditional Slovene dishes include different types of sausages, which comes from sort of like the Austro-Hungarian sort of influence. Um, but they also have cured ham, cheeses and desserts, which may largely come from Italy, Italian influence, and uh, they also have a layered pastry um, with uh, various fillings, which is actually quite a burek, is what they call it in Croatia, but it's uh, quite. A, thing that's uh, sort of come up from there and mushroom dishes are very popular
1: are mushroom it sounds like are they picked from
0: mushrooms would grow in the forests yeah. that they have yeah
1: you, you read my
0: mind did you want to move on to the question
1: let's go into a few fun facts first so um to give you a kind of sense of the country one in 20 people keep bees in the country it's like kind of i know that's interesting it's very agricultural. Um, I, in fact, I have a friend in LA who like has a bee farm in his backyard and does bee stuff. Like it's a hobby in a lot of ways, but a lot of people in Slovenia have this hobby. Um, the, the, it's actually quite, a, uh, we talked about the, volca- uh, volcanic and there's lots of caves, uh, in Slovenia. So like the mountains and the water, like create, there's like 10,000 caves to explore. Um, there's one winery or vineyard for every 75 people. Wine is very popular uh culturally there. Uh in fact, they even have the largest like the oldest vine in the world that still produces grapes, at least they claim. Um that's a tourist attraction if you want to go to Slovenia. Um and yeah, it's also like the richest Slavic uh country by nominal GDP. Um and that's kind of that's interesting and it also distinguishes uh Slovenia from some of the other some from some of its neighbors, as well as like its connection with the EU, which arguably those two have uh, things in common with each other.
0: Nice. Huh. Uh, I remember there being a lot of honey in Croatia last time I visited. Interesting. So, so there you go. Maybe, maybe that's a shared. Uh, it
1: yeah. probably is. Um, if you want to get a sense of what Slovenia looks like, Narnia was filmed in Slovenia. So. Um, that's the Soka Valley, which is in the mountains. Cool. So, yeah, let's hop off to the question.
0: So what is the question, Miles? It is, why is Slovenia so good at cycling? So what is cycling? So before this actually, <laughs> before, we, before this uh, happened, which I dare not tell you when this was um, originally planned for, but uh, I asked Sevi to jot down what he thought were the best countries at cycling. And, and your answer was? My
1: answer was, like, France, Spain, and, like, Italy is, are the countries I think of when I think of cycling.
0: You don't think of the States?
1: I like a little bit of the States, but it, it's hard to... The U.S. is so big that like, it kind of, like, and, and because I'm actually here, I don't think of it as much in terms of cycling, I guess. Um, Yeah, and in terms of, like, people, like, I I think of cycling as, like, a hobby that a few people have, and there are certain cities that it's, like, a bigger deal, but for the most part, it's, like, like, people are driving. They're not cycling to get from place to place.
0: Interesting you say that. So, you think... Part of why I
1: say Italy, Spain, and France is because... So, my relationship with cycling is my dad would watch professional cycling on television, and the countries that I felt like we're very cycling obsessed were those and arguably the US is included in that a little bit. Um, from the perspective of when I was watching it like the US team was a big deal and had a lot of um, like it, success. S- success at miles is putting quotes on this I would argue they're massive quotes and we're of course referring to like Lance Armstrong winning seven along with his team and doing really well and then later getting discredited for doping
0: disqualified yeah yeah.
1: (laughs) discredited disqualified all everything stripped of them yeah lots of
0: yeah yeah anyway we don't need to go into that this time but we can ask so we're asking the question why is a country blank so good or good at cycling now if i said to you like why is country good at football
1: I wouldn't say the countries yeah. that were probably played the most football. It'd probably be the country that has the most people playing football or people who are good at playing football.
0: Right. And, and that's, that's what's interesting about this point is um, the question is why is it so good at cycling? And yet is it? Well, how do you define being good at, so we've got, we've got two parts to this. We've got, Um, why is it so good at a sport and why is it so good at a transport mechanism
1: so in this case your transport mechanism is cycling
0: cycling yeah because if you have a lot of people that commute so when I ask you You say France, Italy and Spain are very good at these. Is that because of their geography as well, do you think?
1: The geography does have quite a mix of mountains and flatlands. Um all three of those. Oh, no! the the reason I thought of those three places is cuz the like the three big tours are in those places and they kind of rash yeah. up support and the fans like like they're in those countries, so that's why they post them there that's why like like those countries are into cycling in Mm. a larger way and therefore i think of like i think it's a feedback loop it's like oh a bunch of frenchmen like cycling they create a big tour tour de france right this big race around france and oh they create this big race around france now that gets even more frenchmen interested in cycling and allows like there to be a lot of people who practice and get good at cycling
0: and french women as well yeah frenchmen and women Okay, um, so my question now is why didn't you include Holland or the Netherlands? That's my fault there, sorry.
1: Uh, uh, the yeah, Holland is how they brand themselves. Um, <laughs> the Netherlands... I didn't include Netherlands because I don't think... I think of Netherlands... When I think of a Netherlands cyclist, I think of someone with like a city bike going around. Um,
0: but who's to say that's not good at cycling? I think they're okay I, I at cycling, you're...
1: but maybe I've, when I think of good at cycling, I'm like, oh, like, again, it, def- it depends how you define good. You can define good as in, like, competent, or you can define good as in, like, exceptional and, like, actually, like, fastest or, or longest or strongest or other words that are est in them.
0: So, so I guess this this boils down to, is a country good at something if they have the best individual or individuals at it? Or is it the best at something if everybody does it to a very competent level and they have a bit of a culture around that? Like let's say Amsterdam, for instance, you know that's crazy levels of cycling where they have like highways for cyclists and you have little overtakings and they all overtake each other and they're all listening to music and, and just pedaling their way in it's, and they're all in that work outfits in the morning and ah, oh, it's crazy. Or is it let's take, for example, and I'm going to let the cat out of the bag now, Slovenia has the best cyclist currently in the world right now. And it also has the second best cyclist in the world right now. In terms of competition? So they have the be- Yes, in the men's division. So they have the two most prominent cyclists, professional road cyclists in the world right now.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Now, does that mean they are better at cycling than people from Amsterdam or like the Netherlands? Because we are comparing the few individuals against the, the nation. <laughs> it depends how you define it. Um, I, maybe that's up for the audience to define their individual ideas.
1: Yeah, and I also think like, I think it's a mix of both. I think like good at cycling in the definition, good is so general, I feel like it should encompass both in a lot of ways. And maybe I'm just trying to be equitable towards everyone, which like, who, who cares if I am, right? And. But I do think Slovenia also has a good bike culture in of itself without the fact that it has the two best cyclists um like you look at like Ljubljana has lots of cycling trails all around it um like lots like 230 kilometers worth of them um
0: yeah so I guess we could uh we could look at Slovenia with a with a microscope and say let's let's think about all these sort of types of cycling and how it meets the requirements for it and then maybe that would prove that it so is it good professionally in the sport is it good at commuting why is it good at commuting if it is and um what else is there maybe tourism as well people would go to cycle their bikes for tourism you know that's a big thing so maybe we can look at those and if it meets all of those then we can deduce that it is good at cycling
1: okay Let's go through like some of the countries we've mentioned about that and end on uh, Slovenia. Does that sound like a good idea?
0: Yeah, sure. Why not? Okay. Do you want to start me off?
1: Sure. So, Spain. So, like, Spain, do they have some great cyclists that come out of Spain?
0: Historically, yes.
1: Are there any right now that come to mind, name-wise?
0: Yeah, you have people in the top ten, I think.
1: And then I'm less familiar with Spain. You've been there. Is cycling a, a common amongst commuters or a common amongst people around the cities?
0: Quite a probably a European average, I would say. So not exceptional. Okay. Uh, like nowhere near, you know, Copenhagen and. Um, okay, so we got Amsterdam sort so, of levels.
1: So those are the two like I ide- like prime examples of commuters in, uh, in Europe. Okay, those two yeah. countries. And it's like something ridiculous, like a good, like over 50% commute to work. Where? In uh, like uh, Amsterdam and Copenhagen. I think so. 62%. (laughs) Up from 36%. Damn.
0: So is there anything they do to encourage cycling? How do you foster growth of cycling in your country uh is it about having places to enjoy to cycle or is it making it accessible for work maybe the answer is uh, a bit of both and i think slovenia does meet both of those in in what ways um so slovenia has crazy amounts of trails for mountain biking in as you've mentioned before it's got all those mountains yeah. and they make use of it they have a lot of mountain biking trails and like um, they have lots of like road biking trails as well around the countryside and it's um, you know it's known as a big tourist destination for cyclists for for year-round as well it has a perfect urban rural ratio of 50 50 so uh, nature is just around the corner for pretty much anyone even when they're in the city so it encourages people to go outside and cycle as a form of pleasure and as a form of a commute as well.
1: And what Slovenia has is it's like it's it's like we talk about it. it's i don't think we mentioned yet but it's population density is quite small. And as a result, like it's got lots of roads that aren't super packed. Um and and you so you get those rural roads whether they're up mountains or not that you can cycle on the shoulder of or cycle on the road of that are really nice. So that makes it good for cycling. But then you also need that other component of Like in the cities, in the denser areas, are there dedicated bike lanes um, or lots of shared bike lanes? And in the case of uh, Ljubljana, like the large uh, city, um, it is, like I said, there are 230 kilometers of Viking trails. To give you a sense, Copenhagen is 390. So it's like, it's still quite like compared to like this gold standard. It's like, it's like two thirds. It's quite a bit of it. Yeah. Three quarters. Yeah.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah, the I looked it up, and apparently the amount of people who cycle uh, to work isn't quite as high. It's not above fifty percent. It's a lot lower. But part of that is because Ljubljana's done such a good job at making their cities walkable and bikeable. But a lot of people just walk to work. Um,
0: yeah, thirty-seven percent walk to work.
1: I wish I lived there. Sometimes that sounds amazing. I to it give people some context. I love the idea of like living close enough to work you can just walk there. And I tried to do that for where I moved, but then I moved to Los Angeles, which, if you know anything, is like not a city Traffic you jams. can't have a car in. Let's put it that way. Um,
0: yeah, it's um, yeah, it's crazy how they've been building this. Um, cycling or cycling friendly city uh they've actually been doing it since the 1960s
1: oh you mean in Ljubljana
0: yeah that's right so they've had more than 50 years to be looking at um what's been happening and they went and had a look at what was they what were they were doing in Copenhagen for inspiration behind this and they looked at increasing bike traffic on um uh, like separate ones to keep people safer, so they concentrate a lot on the safety. Um. um so you're you're
1: saying specifically like cycling is what they were looking to increase within Ljubljana yeah. when they looked at Copenhagen?
0: Okay. Yeah, they wanted to make it a. a um, yeah, as as you said, they were keen on um, on making a green city, but also on uh, you know it's it's about health and um, they have a situation where they can do that. You know, it's a small city and they've you know they, they completely architected this uh, city to be based around cycling routes to encourage people to cycle as well. and they copied a lot of um, of like Copenhagen stuff. they sort of used like a copy and paste mechanism of what Copenhagen did and they uh, did it in Ljubljana and there's a lot of pushback against that and they said... Uh, this place is not, this isn't Denmark, you know, you can't do that here. You know, we're different, we're, we have a different culture, we can't be implementing the same thing and just expect it to work. And actually, for a lot of cities, the cultures do rarely differ. And um, they're just urban landscapes which are just populated by people. And so the, the copy-paste method has actually worked really well. And when you um, say
1: copy paste, you're talking about copying like specific aspects of urban planning to do with like increasing, yeah, like, so whether that's like eliminating cars on specific streets or whether that's, uh, adding bike lanes, that kind of stuff. Right.
0: Yeah. But yeah. it's
1: really interesting because you think about it from the perspective of people in a city and of course what you copy pasting the stuff in Copenhagen will work for, uh, Slovenia. But there's also that argument you say where, oh, we're different. We're a different culture. We think differently. And cities like all, like a bunch of, all cities are like the people in them have their own like culture or ways of life that are different, which also makes sense. So it would never work. Like both, it's funny because in my head, both ideas have a lot of concrete aspects to them. But what you're saying is like the former is more correct. The idea that like people are people in a city and if you change the um, incentives you can change the behavior and the um how your city acts and behaves
0: i think it's, I think it's really interesting because it means that it gives a lot of hope for a lot of let's say for example like decarbonization of cities and uh, and ways we can change you said you want to live near work and just walk and and mm-hmm. bike there? Maybe there'll be a time when you when your city allows that to happen because they just realize. You know, we've got loads of cars, let's just reduce the cars. And there's so many examples where they can just implement the same policies that they did. In many mm-hmm. reasons, you know, there's a lot of, there's a great example of China. China knew back in like the 70s and 80s where and how to grow its economy because it, it's seen it loads of times before. Whereas people like, you know, Western Europe and the US who, who had grown their economies a long time ago, had to experiment to get there, so it took them a long time. Mm-hmm. Whereas China knew exactly what to do, so they can just go ahead and do it and just use that sort of copy and paste to do that sort of thing. Like I'm talking planning cities out and planning your infrastructure and getting that all sorted and then allowing the people to come in, so it's uh, you're not going to have all the congestion issues that we face today. And you can do the same with this cycling, that's what this is proving. It, that you can take a city that you want to make more cycle friendly, and control C, control V, to make it um, to make it cycle friendly, and it has produced results. Um, the best U.S. city for cycling, uh, and I've I've sort of looked at a city over a certain size because otherwise, when you have like five thousand people in a city, it's not <laughs> quite the same. Comparison.
1: I, I have a guess, but I'm curious what you're going to say. It's
0: san francisco okay what percent what percentage of people would ride a bike to work
1: so that's how you measured it like the the high the city with the highest percentage is like ten percent
0: it's four
1: yeah and that's the best city
0: (laughs) yeah so maybe if they could they could use a cut and paste philosophy maybe not cut and paste copy and paste because we don't want to remove it from anyone um then maybe you know these things are possible and i think that there's a a large human it's like ingrained don't take the risk or don't change we we are different because you want you want to see yourself as different so you prove to yourself that it won't work
1: but i i love that idea three things so i love that idea of like i think it's called the sunshine method where you basically go find like the best place in the world for it and like figure out what they did and like like, it's, it's way easier to go find someone who's invented a great wheel than to try to reinvent the wheel. Um, and I feel like that's not always done quite as much in our society. Number two is San Francisco is super hilly. It is like, like, it does not seem like a good place to bike to work. And yet it's the top in the US that gives you a big sense that it's more about the policy than it is about the actual, like, geography. Um, and then the third is kind of to bring it back to Slovenia, um, like, their culture is very much, like we talked about, it's laid back, right? It's very nature-ish, very outdoorsy given their geography as well and their uh, low um, uh, their low density of their population. Um, but it's also very green um, to kind of get back into the greenish. And, like, there's a reason they want to create these green cities. In fact, over half of the country is protected, um, which is... is protected green land. Like, that's crazy for a city, like, especially in Europe. Like, um, I think there's only, yeah, I'm not going to comment on that. Um, But it's very much, like, connected to nature, connected to outdoors. Um, Another good example is they take sports very seriously. Like, quite a bit of time is dedicated to sports for in education, which gives you a sense of the country's priorities. Um, So, like, quite a bit of, like, like, time is spent for physical education.
0: So would that also foster a good professional sporting outcome as well? It might.
1: And it might end it might explain why what we, we didn't mention the two cyclists' names. I think it's worth saying what their names.
0: So the, the names are so the number one in the world, he's the winner of the Tour de France for twenty twenty one and twenty twenty. He's like the youngest winner since nineteen oh three, I think, or something like that, nineteen oh seven or something. So a long time. a long, long time ago. <laughs> um and he's called Tade Pogaca. Okay. And you have the number two in the world who was actually a former ski, professional ski jumper, who at like the age of like 28 was like, ah, this is a bit dangerous. I want to, or this isn't dangerous enough, depending on how you see it. Um, (laughs) I don't know which one's uh, more dangerous. They both seem pretty dangerous to me. Like one, you're jumping off a hill in a skin suit.
1: Yeah. And (laughs) staying really still on your way down and landing precisely. And the other is you're cycling, like moving your legs all day. or you're going
0: downhill at what like 60 miles an hour or like 70 80 k's an hour in nothing but a skin suit and you have a little helmet for protection (laughs) i was
1: i was gonna say those two sports seem complete opposites but now that you describe them as in a skin suit going down really quickly maybe they are pretty similar
0: (laughs) (laughs) basically he's fearless is what you need to know so he did that support sport at a professional level Mm-hmm. And then swapped over to cycling and became, for a time, the best in the world. And now he's been sort of beaten to best in the world by his compatriot. Yep.
1: Um,
0: so, yeah, Teddy Pugatcha and the, uh, the ski jumper who's turned into the uh, cyclist is called Primoz Roglic.
1: Yeah, there we go. Cool. And they, uh, yeah, so... I guess we're saying them. And then the other thing that connects with sports is they actually recently implemented uh, like a national day that celebrates sports like a holiday, basically. Like that's how important it is. Then the first year that that happened was this year on 23rd of September.
0: Nice. Wish we did that.
1: (laughs) I I think that would be. Yeah, I I think I wish we did that, too. That'd be kind of cool. Although, That's
0: cool. Like you think about like how the yeah. effect that will have on like kids and stuff. I think is good.
1: I do, I, I think in some ways I, in the U.S. I feel like we emphasize sports maybe too much. But again, that might be in certain ways and not other ways. We could probably balance it amongst more sports yeah. better.
0: Too many uh, baseballs.
1: No, nah, I was thinking too many footballs, American footballs. But, um, cool. Yeah. So that is a wrap on episode. We never
0: actually answered the question. So why is it so good at cycling? Why is Slovenia so good at cycling?
1: Slovenia Slovenia is good at cycling because it's got the infrastructure for in cities and out of cities to have places you can cycle. Lots of people commute cycling to work. Um, And then it has also got the two best... Uh, cyclists in the world currently are from Slovenia and why por no los dos like why not both like both things contribute to the idea of what makes Slovenia good at cycling yep anything Um, uh,
0: best male cyclists
1: best, yes that's a, that's a good uh, point okay so yeah now that's a wrap on episode number 14 why is Slovenia good
0: at cycling that's right and uh, don't forget to subscribe to our Instagram primarily please Uh, and please tell your friends as well you know if they're going to be interested in this sort of thing uh, we really want them to know about it you know we're really we're going for a big push we've got a target uh, for ourselves to hit for the end of the year for our uh, listener count we won't tell you what it is yet Maybe we will by the end if we get to it.
1: How about this? Everybody who's listening, like, send it to three of your friends who you think would be interested. We're giving you a target. Um, but <laughs> follow us at Podcast Why is the World. Um, and as they say in Slovenia, adio.
0: Adio.